Amen. Good evening. Thank you so much for being here. If you have a Bible, if you will open up to the book of Colossians. We're going to be in Colossians uh, this evening. We are continuing in our series through the New Testament. And um, I know that we've kind of hit on both sides of Colossians, so I thought I would land in the middle tonight. Um, And as Landon has mentioned uh, in the past few sermons, uh, Colossians is a part of Paul's prison epistles. Um, It would have been a letter that he would have written to the Colossian people uh, while he was in prison. It's very unique in this letter in that Paul is going to write a letter to a group of people that he had never met. This is not a church that Paul had started. This is not a church that um, he had even gone to or met these people, and yet he's going to write a letter to them. Uh, it was more than likely started by a, by a man named Epaphras. He would have probably met Paul when he was in Ephesus. And in meeting uh, Paul and meeting Jesus in Ephesus, he uh, goes back to his hometown and he starts a church. And uh, at some point along the way, Epaphras would have gone to visit Paul in prison, and he would have just communicated with him about how the church was doing, how the people were responding to the gospel, maybe some of the things that they struggled with. And what uh, Paul is going to do is write uh, this group of people a letter, and he wants to encourage them in their devotion to Christ. He wants to encourage them in how um, they could become better followers of Jesus Christ and and just be an encouragement to the church as well to just fulfill the Great Commission. And one of the charges that Paul is going to give is the exact scripture that we're going to talk about tonight, and it's going to be uh, on sharing the gospel and prayer. Uh, With that, I'll give you our big idea for tonight. Our big idea is this. As Christ followers, we are called to participate in the spread of the gospel Through prayer and obedience. Through prayer and obedience. So if you have your Bible open, Colossians chapter 4, we're going to start reading in verse 2. This is Paul speaking to the church in Colossae. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how You ought to answer each person. Uh, Let's pray this evening. God, I pray that as uh, we read these words that Paul wrote to the church in Colossae, I pray that uh, as real as they were to this congregation, Father, these words are just as real to us today. I pray that they would make sense to us. I pray that you would help us to evaluate our own lives and what we read tonight. And I pray that you would help us to uh, act accordingly. So, Father, I pray that your word would uh, bring truth out in our lives. And I pray that 
uh, God, we would respond uh, in obedience to you. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. It's very interesting that Paul will begin um, this letter uh, and end this letter talking about prayer. If you flip back a few pages to Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 3, Paul says to them, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. And in these prayers, Paul is just going to continue to encourage the people and their involvement uh, in the spread of the gospel. Uh, And then Paul is going to, like in many of his letters, he's going to talk about who Jesus is. He's going to talk about who they are apart from Christ. He's going to talk to them about uh, who they are with Christ in their lives. And he's going to show them a reason for the hope that they have. And so in chapter 4, where we're going to be tonight, uh, Paul is going to give this charge. He's going to give the charge as kind of a wrap-up before his last um, uh, greetings uh, at the end of the letter. Uh, And he's going to give them this charge about prayer and about sharing the gospel. And so uh, I think these words are just as true for us today as Uh, They were to this church. And I pray that uh, we would realize that uh, tonight. So the first thing is our lives should be devoted to prayer. Our lives should be devoted to prayer. Verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Being watchful in it with thanksgiving. When I say have a life that is devoted to prayer. Please hear me that I'm not saying that you should have a life that you pray every single day. I am saying that. I hope and pray that you do pray every single day. But here's what I'm not saying. Uh, Every morning when me and my children are driving to school, I make both of my children pray, and then I pray. We start that every day. Uh, Every night before we go to bed, we have our little prayer time, and we shoo them off to bed. Uh, Every night before dinner, we get together as a family. We even hold hands sometimes, and we pray. That is not what I'm talking about when I'm talking about a life that is devoted to prayer. I'm talking about um, not just the routine of these certain times that we do pray. I'm talking about time when you get together with God and you talk to Him about things in your life, about, as we're going to see tonight, people in our lives that we need to be praying for. And so when it talks about continue steadfastly, uh, Paul here is speaking about their dedication to prayer. He's talking about our dedication to prayer. But ultimately, he's talking about our dedication for praying for the spread of the gospel. For the spread of the gospel. This term that he uses here, continue steadfastly to devote yourselves. It means an ongoing, persistent prayer. That we should be praying for the spread of the gospel. Luke 18. Jesus tells a story about a widow. Who keeps going to this unjust judge. Asking for justice to be done. She keeps nagging the judge. Over and over and over. And Jesus tells this story. And he says. This unjust judge finally gives her what she wants. Just so she will be quiet and go away. Right? That's in a, in a roundabout way how it goes. 
And Jesus is saying, how if an unjust judge will give this lady what she wants? How much more will your heavenly father not give us, those who are his elect, what they request? So let's see a few things that devoted prayer is. First of all, devoted prayer is watchful. This would have reminded the Colossians, like many in Paul's letters uh, to the different churches, that they were to remain watchful of false teachers. Um, But more specifically, in this context, I think this term includes an alertness to the mission. That the church in Colossae was to be uh, in tune with the fact that there was a mission. There was a gospel to be spread. And they were to be watchful for that. And as they continued in this world, and they were mindful of the times, or the mindful of the changing of the times, uh, they were to be ready to share the gospel to whatever circumstances may arise. They were called to share the gospel. It's a good point for our world as well. Because as we think about our world, and how quickly it changes, and how, uh, how quickly it's been changing over the last 10 years, and we are to be ready and willing to share the gospel. And we should be watchful during this time. Our mission is still to share the gospel with a world that needs to hear the truth, the real truth about who Jesus is and who they are apart from Christ. So be watchful. Next, devoted prayer is thankful. I put a bunch of verses in here that Paul will highlight some of the things throughout the letter that he is thankful for. Uh, Some things that we should be thankful for as well in our life. Paul continues to remind the Colossians what Christ has done in their life. In these verses alone, he thanks God for being delivered. He thanks God for being redeemed. He thanks God for his reconciliation that he has in Christ and for being given a new life. If we had nothing else but salvation... Forget God using us. Forget God wanting to use us to spread the gospel. If we had nothing else but salvation, we could spend every last moment of our life doing nothing but giving thanks to God for that. So our prayers not only should be watchful, but they should be thankful. Here's a, a great quote from Scott Pace. It says this. The responsibility to pray constantly is a timeless imperative for all believers. God has established prayer as his necessary means to work in and through our lives. And we must devote ourselves to interceding with an informed perspective that is grateful for the privilege to participate in his mission. Paul wants us to be dedicated to prayer and what that looks like. And then Paul's going to kind of do a little switch here on us. Uh, And he's going to, uh, number three, devoted prayer includes asking for open doors. Asking for open doors. Look at verse three. It says, at the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Paul gets very specific here in this point. Pray for us. I want you to notice what Paul did not ask for. Paul did not ask 
for him to get out of prison. Uh, He did not ask for his own well-being. He asked for an opportunity, an open door for the word. You know, I guess you could read that and you could uh, really misinterpret that. An open door. He's, He's praying for to get out of prison. He wants the open door, right? That's not what he was talking about here. He wasn't interested in his own physical needs. He was interested in the spread of the gospel. He was interested in what uh, the church, uh, in the message for the church. And he said, he even talks about how being in prison was, uh, God was going to use that. It emboldened other churches. It emboldened other church leaders to spread the gospel. And this included them. And so praying for these open doors, this open door metaphor, uh, it's used all the time throughout the New Testament. You'll see it over and over used uh, to describe outreach opportunities. Uh, In Acts, Luke talks about uh, God's work through Paul and Barnabas. And he says that uh, opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. Paul uses it when speaking to the church in Ephesus uh, in 1st and 2nd Corinthians when he says... A wide door for effective ministry has opened. Also we see in John, in uh, Revelation, John will talk about the church in Philadelphia. He says, I have placed before you an open door that no one can close. So over and over in the New Testament, you see this open door used uh, throughout uh, the scriptures. And so in all of these instances, it's important for us to realize realize. 100% that it's not us that opens the door. It's God who opens the door. It's God who closes the door. We have no power over those things. And so Paul is making it a point. We need to ask for these open doors. Because it's God who opens the door. That's why Paul in his wording right here says that God may open to us a door. Not a prison door so that he could escape. Paul's prayer uh, was for the spread of the word. For the spread of the gospel. For the mystery of Christ. And while Paul could be restrained. This is good. I should have put this in your notes. While Paul could be restrained, the gospel could not. They could contain Paul in prison. Eventually they will shut him up. But guess what was not shut up? The gospel, the message was still going strong. And it's important that we recognize uh, the specific manner in which we should pray for witnessing opportunities. And how we should pray for uh, these opportunities that God and these open doors that God will give us in our own life. And as we make our request known to the Lord, we must trust that he will prepare the way. And here's our last point. Devoted prayer realizes God's role in the spread of the gospel. Again, it's God that opens the door. Uh, Let me give you a word of warning. Some of you are going to go home and we're going to start praying for witnessing opportunities. And we're going to start praying for open doors. And here's your word of warning. If you ask God to open doors, don't be surprised when he does. Don't be surprised when he opens the doors. Paul did not get in prison by keeping his mouth shut, right? And so Paul did not view his being in prison as a hindrance uh, for the spread of the gospel. He saw it as a platform to spread the gospel. 
And so Paul understood that because of the very gospel which he was trying to spread, which is why he was in chains to begin with, his imprisonment became a platform to spread the gospel. And so verse 4, therefore he asked the Colossians to pray that he would make it known as he should. And a few things that we should consider as we pray for witnessing opportunities. Uh, first one is pray specifically for open doors. And you're like, Corey, you already gave us this point. Uh, let me make this point a little more clear. We all know people specifically that do, that do not know Jesus. We have friends that don't know Jesus. We have family members that don't know Jesus. We have co-workers that don't know Jesus. We need to get specific in our prayers for open doors. I used to challenge the teenagers with this all the time. Make a list. Put it in a journal. Pray for them all the time. Check on when you have opportunities to share Christ with them. Maybe when they accept Christ. But we pray specifically for these open doors. Write them down. Pray over them. Because when we get specific, we need to realize the second one. When God gives us a chance, we have a choice to share the gospel. Sad reality is when you pray for God to open doors and he does open these doors. If we don't take the opportunity at that point, we become disobedient and we're sinning. When God gives us a chance, we have a choice. Like I said... Don't be surprised if God opens doors if you ask him to. And when God gives, us you the, gives you the chance, we have the choice. And I pray and hope that we are willing and obedient when those doors are open to us. I pray that we do ask God for open doors. I pray that he would give us the courage uh, to take the opportunity, the willingness, the obedience to it gives us the obedience to, to follow him when those doors come open. We must obey in action when God opens those doors. Lastly, our prayers should create compassion for the lost. I think the more that you speak to God on behalf of lost people, I think the more our eyes are open to what God is doing around us. Uh, I think our hearts begin to have more compassion towards lost people. I think we start um, making an effort. It's, it, I promise you, if you spend seven days a week praying for Bob that you work with, it's going to be very hard for you to avoid Bob in the office or wherever you work. It's going to be very hard for you to avoid him. As a matter of fact, you might go out of your way to start having conversations with Bob Maybe conversations about inviting to church. Uh, I, I know um, that there's a great story of a, a guy in our class that Chris uh, told about. Uh, he started conversations with him about Kenya and why are you doing these things. And, and this guy, for 15, 20 years, got to listen to Chris talk about the church and Kenya and no, 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 not interested. And then all of a sudden, he met Jesus. He will tell you it's all because of Chris's influence in his life. God's influence in his life is ultimately what took place. Now, did God use Chris? Absolutely. Took 20 years. Maybe longer, Chris can tell you afterwards. But it took a long time. Constant prayer, 
constant conversations. And God opens doors eventually. So we should be, uh, it should create a compassion within us. and A desire for Jesus Christ to be made known in the world. Especially to our friends and family. God has placed them in our path for a reason. And I pray that we use every opportunity that he does when he um, opens those doors. And what a relief to us that it's God that does the softening of hearts. It's God that opens the doors. It's God that's in the business of saving people. We're kind of off the hook. All we have to do is open our mouth and speak the truth to them. We don't have to save them. We don't have to change their heart. God's already at work there. We have to join him in that work. And so let's continue. Our prayer should uh, include wisdom. Let's continue reading in verse verse 4. That I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Paul wanted the Colossians to be a part of the global mission. Spread the gospel, the good news about Jesus all around the world. And um, this included their cultural engagement. Yes, this meant they were going to have to have conversations with people that did not believe like they did. Maybe they had to have conversations with people who believed way differently than they did. Um, But Paul addressed in this letter to the Colossians to look out for false teachers. You know, I think sometimes when we hear that in Scripture, look out for false teachers... Part of that makes us want to, in some way, just uh, exclude ourselves from outsiders. Uh, kind of like uh, the Amish do. That we're just going to pull away from everyone. We're going to go live our own little, in our own little bubble and not be influenced by the world. Uh, and that's exact, exactly opposite of what Paul is telling the church here to be a part of. Um, as he's telling them, he says, I want you to walk in wisdom with outsiders. This term was not addressed to those teaching a false gospel uh, that had made their way into the church, but focused on the unbelieving members of the community and speaking to people who maybe just didn't have a clue who Jesus was. We need to take responsibility, responsibility in how we deal with people that are lost. And Paul's going to give us some guidelines for how we need to do that. First of all, we should have wisdom in our words. I know Paul's desire for the church in Colossae was for them to be devoted uh, to praying for these opportunities. And as I'm talking tonight, I know I kind of got hung up on this is about sharing the gospel, sharing the gospel, sharing. Guys, it's as much or more about praying to God for these opportunities to share the gospel. Yes, we're to open our mouth. Yes, we're to speak. We need to spend time in prayer. And he knew that they needed to be devoted to prayer. But you also have to open our mouth and speak. When God does open these doors, we have to be ready uh, uh, to share the gospel with people. Realizing what Jesus had done for them. And the willingness to make Jesus known to the world around them. And when combined with the... As it talked about making the mystery of Christ known. He adds that the message needed to be clear. Meaning it needed to be completely distinct from all the other messages that they were hearing. There was lots of 
false gospels that were being preached. What was the one true gospel? And he says, you have to get clear on what this means. And then Paul goes into their speech, their words, and how important it was for them to know how they should answer each person. Uh, Let me encourage you that we need to be able to share the good news clearly. Every team member that goes to Kenya uh, will be able to do this before they get on the plane. They will be able to get up in, in front of people and share that God is holy, that they are sinful, that Jesus is the answer, and that people should repent and believe. Every person is able to share that in some form or fashion before they ever get on the plane or they ever land in Kenya. Why is that important? Because you have to share the truth about who God is, about who they are, about who Jesus is and what he's done to save us, and what our response needs to be uh, to Jesus. Every single testimony is different, but the gospel message is still the same. Every single testimony. I have a different testimony. Kenny, Kenny has a different testimony than We all have a different testimony. We all share the same gospel message. And that's what Paul's telling them. You have to be distinct on what you're sharing. You have to have wisdom in your words. Secondly, Paul's prayer and instruction remind us that we need to have wisdom in our speech. I know what it's like when you want to have a conversation with someone about Jesus. Maybe you're struggling with the right words to say. Uh, maybe you're trying to think of that verse that you learned in Sunday school and it's not coming to you. You're like, oh, it just frustrates me. Every time I want to share this verse, I just forget it. I don't know where to look it up. Uh, the good thing about the phone is you can just type in a few words from the verse. pops it right up. It's pretty awesome. But um, we have to have wisdom in our speech. And I think what happens is a lot of times we get hesitant because, one, we might not know exactly how we want to share Uh, the good news. We might not know exactly the verse that we want to share. So because of that, we choose not to say anything rather than uh, saying the wrong thing. Maybe we muddy down the gospel with um, things that get in the way, such as politics, maybe social issues, maybe personal issues that we're dealing with. And Paul is here is telling us that we have to choose our words and our speech wisely. And what we're saying and what we're sharing with people. We must be very clear uh, so that, as Paul says here, it makes sense. The gospel is not hard to understand. God is holy. We have separated ourselves from a holy God by our sin. Left to ourselves... We deserve death, separation from a holy God. But in his great love for us, Jesus, he sent Jesus to live a life that we could not, to die the death that we deserved, and by living that life, by dying that death and raising from the dead, he conquered death and sin, giving us life. So that if we put our hope and trust in him, we could have eternal life. Pretty clear cut. Don't muddy it down. Don't make it harder than it needs to be. And I know a lot of people, I've shared the gospel with people before, and they say, man, that that just sounds too easy. You got it. That's it. That's the gospel. God has made a way. 
And he chooses to open these doors. And I pray that we don't make it any more confusing than it needs to be. Wisdom in our words. Wisdom in our speech. Next, we have to have wisdom about our culture. Our culture. uh, Our lovely culture that we live in. It's been hostile um, towards the gospel. It's hostile towards the gospel today. Uh, And can I give you a newsflash? I think Landon said this Sunday. It's always been hostile towards the gospel. Uh, If we think it's bad today, go back to the Roman days and see what they used to do to people that preached the gospel. Our world, our culture is completely and totally opposed to the gospel. And so we have to act wisely and live with wisdom in regards to outsiders. Outsiders meaning those who don't know Jesus. Um, That's how we are to act as Christ followers. And so because he tells us here, make the most of the time. Our days are numbered. Kind of a goofy story, but it kind of makes a point. Yesterday, uh, yesterday I was texting with Landon. I had a stomach bug on Monday. And so I texted Landon on Tuesday and I said, man, I I didn't feel good yesterday. I kind of had a stomach bug. So I'm going to stay home from the office. Work from home, get some stuff done. And about 2 o'clock after staff meeting and lunch, he texts me back and he says, are you going to be able to preach tomorrow? And I said, 100%. That's what I texted him back, 100%. And he, in his humor, sends me this message back. James 4, 13, boasting about tomorrow. Come now, who will say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. To which I did not respond to him in this in text, but I said, touche. I can't say 100% because I don't know if yesterday was my last day. Obviously it wasn't. I'm here speaking with you tonight. So uh, I had this opportunity uh, to, to, to talk to you. But he was exactly right. We don't know when our last day is. We don't know when our last opportunity to share Jesus would be with someone. We don't have any clue when our life will be over. It says our life is but a mist, our days are numbered, and we don't know them. Second Peter 3 says this, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. That day will come like a thief. If we have breath in our lungs, I pray that we are calling out to the Lord, uh, asking Him for open doors, asking Him for opportunities. And I pray that this stirs within us like a sense of urgency. Now, our days are numbered. I was speaking to my wife the other day. I was like, man... Most of the people that I know that are gone, man, I'm over halfway there. I'm like, <laughs> our days are numbered. And I hope that it stirs within us a sense of urgency that, yes, we should be petitioning for these open doors. But we should be taking the most of the days that God gives us to share the good news of what Jesus has done for us. And so it's important for us to stand, understand our culture as we do that. Understand our surroundings. You're not going to share the gospel with an oil field worker the same way that you would uh, a family member. Unless your family member is an oil field worker, then you just go for it, whatever. Here's a funny story. 
Karen Moeller was a filmmaker and an author. She was in the Peace Corps in the 80s. She dug wells. She built schools in villages in the Philippines. One night, 17 members of the New People's Army, which was the armed wing of the Communist Party there, decided that they were going to pay her a visit and interrogate her. Scary stuff. Earlier that day, people within the village had come to her house and warned her that these guys were coming to pay her a visit. So she did the only thing that she knew to do. She left her home. She went and sought out two precious commodities, sugar and coffee. And when the guys showed up at her home later that evening, she walked out and she said, Thank God you are here. I've been waiting all day for you. Please come in and have some coffee with me and let's talk. Leave your guns at the door. And baffled, these soldiers did exactly what she asked her to do. They left their guns at the door. They came in. They had coffee. And she took what should have been an interrogation and she turned it into a conversation. Went from conversation to communication. They didn't interrogate her at all. As a matter of fact, they thanked her for what she was doing in the Philippines. So what would have been a hostile situation changed. All because she figured out the culture that she was in. She knew the coffee would go a long way, especially with sugar. And she used it to her advantage here. We can do the same thing as well. Know our culture. Know who you're speaking with. Know who you're talking to. And use those as we talk about our language and our words that we talk. Use those wisely. I tell you that because Paul continues uh, to tell us that our words should be gracious and seasoned with salt. Yes, filled with grace. Why? Because God has been gracious to us. That's exactly what God has extended to us through Jesus Christ. His grace and mercy. And our words should be the exact same way. Also, it says our words should be seasoned with salt. I found this one kind of funny because a lot of commentaries chase the season with salt in many different ways. Uh, one way is they said that, you know, salt was used as a preservative. It was to keep meat from decaying. They would pack meat in salt uh, to keep it from decaying. And so a lot of people chase that. And, yeah, okay, that kind of makes sense. Um, some of them said that it, it would, one commentator I like said that it would, would make people thirsty. So... Your language with salt, would it's like when you go to the movies and you order a large popcorn. If you don't get a drink, it won't be long before you go back for the drink. Why? Because they put so much salt in the popcorn, you can't sit there and eat that whole without having a drink because you need to quench your thirst. So some there was a commentator that chased that rabbit. It wasn't, it didn't make the most sense. Let your words be seasoned with salt. I think it just means to add flavor to the world. To bring flavor. Our words need to bring that flavor into the world. Uh, I think all three of these make sense. I think I'd like the last one a little bit more than the other. So ultimately, we should know how we are to answer every person. With grace. Seasoned with salt. Every single person is different. And odds are, you may share the gospel completely differently with every single person you share the gospel with. Same gospel. Different deliveries. Uh, but we must be mindful of every situation uh, and be able, as First Peter 3 tells us, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, 
always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Yet, I love this, do it with gentleness and respect. With gentleness and respect. With wisdom in our words. Wisdom about our culture. So as we consider how to prayerfully and uh, carefully engage our, our, the world around us, it's important for us to uh, some practical guidelines uh, in mind. A few things I want to ask you. First of all, are you argumentative? Are you argumentative? As a follower of Christ, uh, you know, Jesus is the center of our life. Every single thing that we do in our life should be for the glory of God. Jesus is the center. And when someone does not agree with us, it gets very frustrating for us. How can you not understand this? I've made it so clear for you, especially when it's a person that we love and care deeply for. Especially if it's someone that we've prayed for years for. How could you just continue to be stubborn? And in return, it kind of makes us uh, frustrated. That'd be a good word for it. Uh, we are always going to be around people that do not believe like we do. Always. Uh, and they will hold just as tightly to what they believe as we hold to our beliefs. And we must, need to under we must understand that we have to keep our cool when those situations arise. Um, because we understand that we can share the truth. But ultimately, we cannot convince someone to believe. We can share the truth all day long. But we can't change people's hearts. We can't let this gospel message make sense to them the way that God can. God's the one that changes hearts, softens hearts. He's the one that opens doors. He's the one that takes out our heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh. It's God that does those things. And I pray that we realize uh, his role in those things. And scripture is clear. I put these scriptures in there for you. Uh, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians says, The gospel of Christ is foolishness to those who are perishing. We need to remember that. It's absurdity of grace and the cross doesn't make sense to those who are lost. The message of Jesus, it's absurd to the world that we live in. To the culture that we live in. They think it's absurd. It doesn't make sense to them. Their hearts and their minds. This is straight from these scriptures. You can look them up. Their hearts and their minds have been hardened. It says they will remain veiled. Their eyes will remain veiled until the truth of the gospel is made known to them. Their eyes continue to be veiled. Their hearts continue to be hard. Why? Because God hasn't done that work in their life yet. And we need to understand that on this side of it. We are going to encounter people that God hasn't softened their heart. And God hasn't unveiled their eyes. And we should not become frustrated or argumentative. Because God tells us in his word. The gospel is foolishness to them. Therefore we should share the gospel with grace. We should share the gospel with compassion. But also with zeal. We stand firm on what we know to be true and we share what we know to be true. We are faithful to that. 
And even if it lands us in prison just like it did Paul. That is what we are faithful to do. It's God that softens hearts. It's God that softens minds. It's God that opens minds. Do what only we are called to do. And that's share. To pray for those. Pray for open doors. And to share the gospel faithfully. And so that it makes sense. And be ready when those doors are open. You know, I once heard it said, and I know Landon's used this before. People have said, share the gospel and if possible, use words. Always use words. Please. Uh, I, I know people are like, you know, the greatest book anyone will read is just watching you. No, I hope not. I hope the greatest Bible that people will ever read is looking at me. All right? Use words. Share the truth of who Jesus is. Uh, always use words. And, and I pray that Jesus has done such a miraculous work in your life that when people do see us, they see a difference in us. There's something about you that's just different. What is it? Let me tell you how we are to respond to that. Uh, let, me, let, me, let me first uh, say how you're not supposed to respond to that. When people say, why are you the way that you are? Why are you so happy? Why are you so whatever? Please never say, uh, can I think about that for a few days and get back with you? Please don't say that. Okay, if nothing else, say, Jesus has changed my life. I am the way that I am because Jesus has changed my life. If you say nothing else, please start there. Because if it's true, we have a lot to be thankful for. We have a lot uh, of grace and mercy that has been poured out on us. And I pray that it has changed our life and how we live and how we act and how we speak and how we encounter the world around us. So that when people do see us and they ask, why are you the way that you are? Guess what that is? It's an open door. People just invited you to share the gospel with them when they ask you that question. Our world is filled with lost people who are being pulled in a million different directions uh, with beliefs and doctrines. And we must show them the truth of who God is, who they are, and who Jesus is, and what he's done for them. So that sinners, dead in their sins, could have a relationship with the Father once again. That's what we need. People to share the gospel. And always use words. Share the gospel and always use words. Uh, so avoid being argumentative. And the last thing I want to ask you uh, is, are you ashamed? Now, when I say this, uh, please hear me clearly. And that if you have, you know, not shared the gospel with someone in the last two weeks, I don't want you to feel, oh, I'm a failure. Uh, I'm ashamed. I don't think that you're ashamed of the gospel. But I would ask you this question. We're on day 250 in 2022. I want you to consider how many times you've asked for God to open a door. How many times we've prayed for a lost person. And ultimately, how many times have you shared the gospel with someone? I mean, we're on day 250. And when I say this, you need to understand that God said this to me this week. As I studied this passage. I'm guilty of not doing this like I should. I'm guilty of not praying for lost friends like I should. For lost family like I should. For not praying for these open doors that God would give me. 
And I think sometimes I wouldn't say that we're ashamed of the gospel. But I wonder why we are so hesitant to share the gospel with the world that needs to hear it. Maybe it's because we don't want to ruffle people's feathers. Maybe it's because we really truly don't think that we have the words to share it with someone. Uh, But we must realize the alternative for our friends and for our family without Jesus. It's either life with Jesus or it's death separated from him. For all eternity, punishment, the wrath of God being poured out on them for their sins. It's either life with Christ or God's wrath apart from him. We need to realize the alternative for our friends and for our family and for a lost world out there if they die without Jesus Christ. And we need to be part of praying for open doors and for sharing the good news of what Jesus has done in our lives. I pray that it's an overflow of what we already know what God has done inside of us. Jesus' last words to his followers before he ascended into heaven. Go make disciples. Go is the first part of that command. That includes action. We are to go into the world. With our friends, with our family, with complete strangers. We are to go and we are to share the good news of what Jesus has done for us. Church, uh, pray that what Jesus has done for us uh, because it is amazing. It's, it's so great. It's what we didn't deserve. Uh, we have no right to keep that to ourselves. What God has offered to us, he offers to the world. And we have no right to keep that to ourselves. We need to always be ready to give a reason uh, for the hope that we have. To give, a people, uh, give people uh, an answer when they ask for why we have hope in our life. It's not about us. It's about Jesus Christ and what he's done for us and what he will do for anyone he chooses to do that for. Let's pray this evening as we finish up.